The following guided meditation was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I often like to begin these, uh, you know, when we're in the middle of the six-week class by just congratulating all of us that we came back. Because, I mean, it's totally fine if it's somebody, you know, not somebody's cup of tea, but often it's not so much that, it's that we get swept away by the busyness in our lives. And uh, in a way, it's kind of the, the big, one of the big tragedies in life. It isn't that you know, we don't know how to take care of ourselves in these deep ways or take care of each other in deep ways, but we get distracted. <laughs> we get pulled here, we get pulled there, and there's a nice show on, and got to do this. And uh, these teachings that we get from the Buddha, and it's really, I think I mentioned in week one, it's kind of like the, the depth of human common sense, like that we should live our lives being present, <laughs> as opposed to, I think you can imagine a self-help book. Best idea, you know, you want to see your light, be distracted. <laughs> no one would say that. So we have these teachings, but the thing is we don't really sense the value until we put some time in. I mean, it makes sense when someone talks about mindful awareness, but it doesn't seem like changing. You know, it doesn't seem like a deal breaker to going to make everything right. But it really, I mean, the Buddha was really provocative when he talked about there is an end to suffering doesn't mean that we're immune from pain. You know, pain is endemic in life. There's aging, there's loss. There's all kinds of insults and disappointments that just are inherent in being a human being, right? So how can being present make a dent in that or change that? And that's the point. You actually have to check it out. One of the most well-known Pali phrases. So Pali is one of those ancient languages in India, very much related to Sanskrit. And uh, early Buddhist teachings were recorded in that language. And there's a famous Pali phrase. It goes, Ehi pasiko, come and check it out. That's what it means. Because it's not enough to hear it, we actually have to put some time in. And then if we put enough time in, then... And some of you who've been practicing for a while may feel like this is becoming true for you, but we begin to sense a feedback mechanism. There's a pleasure, an inner pleasure to being present. Just like there's an inner weight and heaviness to being distracted and disconnected and fragmented and you know, pushed around by our likes and dislikes, which is sort of the ordinary state of mind, so it doesn't stand out so much as being stressful or even worse, you know, unbearable, because it's sort of the norm. So just uh, wanted to start there, just to encourage all of us, myself included, to put time in. And, you know, there's a bit, it's almost a little cultish, you know, about finding time to do a daily set, even if it's just a couple minutes. 
And, and the daily siddha is so different than the rest of the day, except in our daily sit, we're optimizing the conditions, right? So the cell phone is off, and the dog or cat knows to leave you alone or in the other room, and the kids or the people you live with know not to bother you, and you're sitting in a relatively comfortable, relatively upright way. And in those optimals, with those optimal conditions, we cultivate our practice to be alert and relaxed. And it's one thing, you know, we all know that it's possible possible to be aware of the present moment, like we could do it right now, can't we? Listening to Mark, hearing the sound of Mark's voice is like this. Or feeling the body sitting is like this. Or feeling self-conscious is like this. So we can have a moment where there's present moment awareness. But we really start to get a sense of the transforming power when we can sustain present moment awareness, that continuity. Next week in particular, we'll look at what gets in the way of the continuity of present moment awareness. So you can take notes this week and bring it back for our discussion time next week. What is it? Because there, there are going to be some regular you know, interrupters, regular obstacles that show up, like the planning mind, or doubt, like, am I doing this right? But the awareness doesn't catch, oh, doubt is being known, right? So we get, sort of take the bait, we identify with the doubt, we start to think about our practice. And remember, thinking isn't, you know, isn't in itself bad, but thinking without awareness, knowing that thinking is being known, or that thinking is happening. That means we're lost in thought, which is almost all the time. One of the great uh, Thai masters from the last century, the Thai Buddhist monk, characterized uh, modern times, or the modern mind, as lost in thought. And that's the basic predicament. And it's just the way it is. I mean, it's just, it's not specific to one or two people. This is the cultural phenomena we're in our thoughts. And we rarely visit the present moment. I mean, we're here in the present moment, but there isn't an awareness. Oh, it's like this. In order to sustain present moment awareness, we have to, and this is usually what I talk about week three, and then we'll practice it and just a few minutes. But we have to understand that, because we often talk about when we're first learning the practice, like how to be aware of some object of our experience, like feeling the breath coming into the body, or being aware of hearing, or being aware of the body, generally the body, or even specifically different touch points, like feel the sit bones pressing down on the cushion or the or whatever. But there's always, in a sense, in every moment, there are two things. There's the experience or the object that's being known, 
And then the, there's the way the mind is relating to that experience or to that object. So when I'm, you know, hearing my voice now, when I hear that pitch or tone, you know, I might relate to it with embarrassment or I might relate to it with pride. And so the way we're relating actually turns out to be pretty important. Like in terms of connecting with the present moment, it's not just what we're knowing through the six sense gates. I think I went through that week one. Did I go through that? So it's just the five physical senses. And then these are the six ways we know the present moment, or we know reality, we could say even. We're aware of mental activity, that's the sixth sense gate, right? Because we can be aware of thought and emotion. And we're aware of seeing and hearing and tasting and smelling and touching. And in, these are the six ways the mind is sensitive. And whatever, we've, whatever experience we've ever had in our life has always been some combination of these six things. There's, it's a list that's designed not to have anything outside of it. So if you've ever had an experience, you should be able to place it in these six things, right? What would, what would be outside of that? The awareness, the sensitivity to mental activity is quite expansive. I mean, we have all kinds of mental experiences, sublime, horrific. It's like the awareness of the mind, the activity of the mind is like a awareness of a production studio, a really good production studio. And so it's like a whole nother Reality. I mean, a lot of our thoughts and mental images are about the five physical senses, too, right? So we're sensitive in these six ways. And so there's two things. In any moment, and especially as we learn how to sustain present moment awareness, it's not just what of these six things or what combination of these six things is, happens to be uh, front and center, the forefront of awareness, but how the mind is relating to it. What's the mood? And this is an aspect of mental activity. The mood, the attitude, the frame of mind, the view. Like if your uh, past experience, you know, for those of you in the room, if you've been conditioned to think, oh, common ground is a sacred space. And then you have that lens on, right? So you, you see the black chairs, which are very ordinary from Costco, and you go, oh, sacred chairs. And you know, it's like the whole experience gets colored by the way we're relating. If there's somebody at work who, at one point, two years ago, did something that you thought was disgusting, you know, whatever, sneezed all over themselves or something. And then it's, you've got this unconscious filter. Whenever you see that person, you just kind of like, ooh, disgusting person. And so we have all these habits, and some of us just tend to be an aversive type, and so that's kind of like a chronic filter or attitude. Some of us are kind of rosy, sentimental types. I mean, all many different types. 
But as we, you know, now, week three, we're experienced practitioners, right? We have to start to notice. And you can even drop the question in. How is my mind relating to experience? So the initial question, you know, week one was, what's the mind knowing? Now equally important is, how is it knowing that? You know, with what filter, with what attitude, what's the mood? And just experiment, like I'll suggest during the guided sit tonight, um, just dropping a question in, like, what's the mood? What's the attitude? How's the mind relating? Or if you're, <clears throat> you've gotten familiar with some of your own top five habits, you know, and, and greediness is one of them, just ask, is there any greed in the mind? Or is there any irritation? Or let's say boredom is a chronic tendency. How's the mind? Is, is there boredom? And when we ask these questions, it's really in the direction of a pure interest. It's not a judgment. I just want to be close. We just want to see things as they are. Right? It isn't about dominating or controlling or making something happen. And that's a point that really can't be made enough because one of the filters that you know is just almost always not seen is this idea like, I just need to do this and then I'll get a result, you know. And there's, we've been reinforced and it, we were reinforced at school, we're reinforced at work, and it kind of works, you know. We apply our willful effort and there's some result. So it's not about uh, giving that up. But in this practice, it isn't really like I'm doing mindful medi- mindfulness meditation in order to be calm. There's some truth to that, but it, we really miss out if we limit the practice to this uh, more nuts and bolts of basically self, self-soothing, like soothing the system down, calming the system down. And there are a lot of really good techniques and they're related to what we're learning, you know, meditative techniques to soothe, calm the system. It's really a nice thing to do when you're agitated or can't sleep or, you know, we should, we should be learning these, you know, stress reduction techniques starting in kindergarten. There's no reason <laughs> because they work and they are related to this, uh, these teachings that we're learning. But there's so much more value than just being able to settle the system, as nice as that is. And this is what we have to check out. And if we're kind of demanding a result, it won't, ha- it won't work. It's more, it's more uh, gradual and subtle than that. Somebody asked the Dalai Lama this, you know, some version of the question, you know, have you noticed any change in your practice lately, or something like that, or any benefit from your practice lately? And uh, he had a great answer. It was something like, well, if I look back this last week or month or last year, can't really see anything. But if I look over five years or 10 years or 20 years, 
Yeah. And that's the thing. It's really, you know, even though a lot of you are making the effort to take the six-week class and making the effort to find some time to do some formal meditation practice at home or listen to a guided meditation at home, we're really interested in a shift in lifestyle where this value of being present becomes the new default value. You know, we have, we have all kinds of default values, like not making a fool out of myself. And I don't even think about it, but it's operating in the mind because it's so kind of the background of the mind, like don't do anything stupid. <laughs> you know, or don't do anything stupid if someone's around to see you, or something like that. And what we're doing is, initially because it's new, we, we're, we have to be very conscious, like, I do want to be present. What is the mind doing? What is the mind knowing? How's the mood? And we're and all the different tricks we've been learning, like when we're walking from the car to our office, oh, I can be present with the physicality of walking. You know, I don't have to just get lost in thought for these, you know, 90 seconds it takes to walk in from the building or from the parking lot. I could just notice the lifting and the placing of each step. Or I can just be aware of seeing not looking around, but just the visual experience being known or hearing. And then the thing about using these, you know, I say tricks, but they're just skillful means is what we call them in the Buddhist tradition. These skillful means, they create the ground, the stability, so that when some of our psychological and emotional habits get triggered, because the awareness, the present moment awareness is already stable, then when I get defensive or when I get greedy or I get lustful or I get angry or I space out, I'm, I'm much more likely to see it because I've got that continuity of awareness with the body, let's say, and then when the mind falls into some habit, that same stability of awareness will notice, oh, this is what the mind is doing. It's like this now. And we'll be able to notice whether that pattern, that habit, is helpful or not. Because there's no way we abandon unhelpful emotional, psychological habits without seeing them, not judging them, but seeing them for what they are. Like if I pick up a hot pan and I'm present enough to know it's a hot pan, it's very easy to let go. <laughs> but you know, if we're not aware that we're causing ourselves harm, that we're stressing the system out, causing other people stress, we can act in unskillful ways, stressful ways for ever. Right? Chronic stress is, we don't even realize how much the mind, the body, the heart is holding. Because There's not that stability of present moment awareness. So it's really the great protector. And we need these, uh, we need the stability of present moment awareness and the continuity because it illuminates. In uh, Buddhism, it's sort of like it illuminates, we talk about it as this moral world. Not moral in the sense that somebody's telling us what's right and wrong. 
that the sensitivity of our own mind and heart will be able, because of the stability of present moment awareness, directly sense if how the mind is showing up, how the mind is relating, whether it's helpful or not. And then we can change. Because we feel like, you know, like I've been married to my spouse for almost 30 years now, and um, still, you know, and we're both, you know, long-time practitioners, but still, I'll notice sometimes, because there's awareness, I'll notice that, you know, there's a little digging, you know, a little poking, a little whatever, payback or sort of a low-grade push and pull. I'm sure this is not uncommon. But it's so nice to be able to know it. Like I'm not, it's, it's harder and harder to be oblivious. So when I'm acting out, even in subtle ways, you know, wisdom awareness notices, oh, you're acting out. It's not helping. <laughs> not helping anybody. And so it's easier to naturally tease that stuff out, not because I'm even trying to tease it out, but it just stands out. It just stands out. And that's the real value of the practice. And um, in the sit tonight, you know, we'll do the two things we've been doing in other sets. We'll, we'll use these anchors, these specific objects like whole body, hearing, the breath, feeling the breath in a particular place, like at the nose, feeling the air touching as it goes in and out, or some of you might prefer to just feel the expansion, that movement of the rib cage or the movement of the abdomen as it, as we breathe in, it expands a bit. Of course, then as we breathe out, it contracts a little. And there's that ordinary physicality, right, of that movement. That could be an anchor or the touching or wherever the movement of the breath is clear for you. It's can be specific to each person, like where it's easiest to notice breathing in and breathing out. We'll use these techniques because it really, like as a skillful means, it really uh, helps us to let go of everything. Because we're training the mind to be interested in the the meditation object, whatever it is. Could even be a prayer. You know, when you think about human history, with rituals and chanting, and there's so, and that it's all about this. The people, when they're doing whatever these sort of religious, spiritual activities, generally there's something to pay attention to, and you hold your attention there. And to do that, you have to let go, of, you can't pay attention to anything else. And it's a, a very powerful learning, because the mind is learning, there's still this diversity of experience, there's still all my worries, all the things I want to think through, all the past stuff I might want to regurgitate, all the future stuff I might want to think about, but we're choosing to keep something in mind. And there's real value in discovering that we can put everything else down. And then we'll notice that pleasure of the mind not being so tormented about everything else that we're, we'd otherwise be thinking about. Because every time I see anything, even something pretty neutral like the floor, 
We can't have an experience of touch, of smell, of sight, of sound, of thought, without having reverberations, like an opinion about what I just experienced. Oh, I like it. Or I don't like it. Or I don't care enough to have an opinion about it. Even that is subtly stressful. So when I draw my attention away from all my sensitivity, through my eyes, through my ears, through touch, through thought, and smell and taste, right? When I'm, it's there, I'm still sensitive, but I'm choosing to just know one thing. It radically sent, uh, simplifies my experience. And that feels good. Just knowing this one thing. Just doing this one thing. You know, it's kind of a cliche now, in sort of new age circles, just do one thing at a time, right? But it, it's a, a meditative, skillful means that has an effect on the heart and mind. It feels good. It's a kind of healing because for some period of time when we're doing that, the mind is not getting pushed around by all the other experiences. Not having to react, not having to have an opinion about all the other things that might come into the forefront of attention. So we'll do that, and we have been doing that for part of the sit. And the other thing we've been doing at the end of the sits is opening it up. Right? And just, and not telling the mind, this is your meditation object, but whatever is in the forefront of attention, whatever the mind is knowing, then we're aware this is being known. And in just another moment, a completely different experience might be there. It might be a judgment about what I was just doing. Okay, judging is being known. And then there may be a moment of forgiveness. Oh, it's okay. Oh, forgiveness is being known. And then you might hear the blower. Oh, hearing is being known. And then you might realize, oh, there's seeing. Oh yeah, seeing is being known. So sometimes we'll call that open awareness practice as opposed to object-based meditation practice, right? Where we're using a meditation object. That we want to get good at both. And generally, but it's you know kind of specific to each of you, but generally emphasize the object-based meditation initially, because you'll get a more likely to get a sense of the pleasure of that the mind being secluded from the diversity of experience. Just that. And, and the mind can gather in that simple experience of knowing one thing. Breathing in is like this. Breathing out. And it, it's a way of collecting, gathering the energies of the mind. All the mind has to do is be intimate with this one phenomena. It's not that it's simple. Nothing is simple, really. I'm sure you notice as you pay attention to the breath or hear and you realize how alive it is, how, you know, intricate it can be even. So maybe I'll leave it here. You might want to just stretch your body a little bit, even stand, move a little, so that you'll be comfortable sitting for about 30 minutes. And as always, we'll have time for discussion and questions after the sit. We learn quite a bit from hearing, so anything that comes up in the sit will be good to bring up. Good, and let's settle in. So we want our sitting posture, as we've been talking, Shelley and I have been talking, we want the sitting posture to support what we're interested 
and the heart doing, which is to be upright, alert, and relaxed. And just presuming that we can have both, the alertness and the relaxation, both in the body, but especially in the mind and the heart. Remember that if your mind and body feel stirred up, taking some time to do some deep, easy breathing, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be as easy as taking the time to slowly fill the lungs in a relaxed way, and then very slowly empty the lungs without straining. really sense that we have all the time in the world to fill and then to empty the lungs. This can be an easy way to come back into more embodied presence here and now. on days where you feel more wound up, you might even want to do this for five minutes, this deep breathing. So let's do one more of these long and easy breaths in and out. Take your time. And whenever you're done, Simply allow the breathing to continue on on its own. And we can be grateful that the body doesn't need anybody's oversight. Body can breathe on its own. Even if the breath seems erratic or not quite right, just trust the body to do the breathing. And we'll take a couple minutes and we'll use hearing as a meditation anchor. You can allow the eyes to lightly close. It's okay to keep them open, but generally we have our eyes closed lightly for this style of meditation. And simply opening to the experience of hearing. And notice, it's important to notice that hearing is already happening. It isn't something that we do, actually, but more something that's recognized. Hearing is being known. And keeping hearing in mind, that's the being alert, remembering, keeping it in mind. And relaxation is really all about 
not needing to figure anything out, being in more of a receptive mode. So let's try this in silence for a few minutes, awareness of hearing. learning how to keep hearing in mind. And how relaxation really helps. Trusting this experience of hearing so ordinary Noticing that hearing is here and now, in the present moment. And perhaps you can sense this wholesome pleasure. In Buddhist terms, we call it the pleasure of seclusion. The mind is secluded from the diversity of experience. It's just a way of hearing to some degree.
just doing the best we can. It's initially not easy to be attentive to something so ordinary, and that's why we tra- that's why we're training the mind, developing in a sense a new muscle. So for just another thirty seconds. And then noticing this ordinary experience of the body sitting, whatever this array of sensation, changing experience of sensation of the body sitting. And breathing in for that duration of breathing in, just being sensitive to the whole body and then through the duration of breathing out, open and sensitive to the whole body, the totality of the body. But again, it's mostly about keeping the body in mind, not forgetting. Because awareness is already sensitive to this tactile experience of sitting. So we're just keeping it in mind in this alert and relaxed way as best we can, starting over as often as needed, and also being curious and even friendly with the distractions that interrupt the continuity of awareness with the body. Let's do this in silence for a while.
And remember, you can use a mental phrase like breathing in, experiencing the whole body, breathing out, allowing the body to be, something like that. can create a little bit more support if you're finding a lot of distraction. Just see what helps. And check, how's the mood? How's the attitude that is knowing the body, knowing distractions? Is the mind kind or is it aversive, fearful? Again, it's not about judging, but just noticing how the mind's relating to the body, to distraction.
And you might want to experiment with a more specific anchor, like feeling the air touching the nostrils and bringing the attention to a more singular point of experience with the rising and falling of the abdomen. And we're both alert and relaxed. Alert means that we're keeping the object, the meditation object in mind. And relaxed means we're not controlling, we're just simply knowing, which doesn't need to be tight. It's really more about remembering to notice We also use that alert and relaxed attitude when we notice distraction. We can have a friendly attitude about distraction. Oh yeah, this is what's being known. Planning mind is being known. It feels like this now in the body, in the heart. And then just let the distraction cease on its own. And then return to the primary meditation object. And be interested in that continuity of present moment awareness as best you can. And we'll continue for about 10 minutes in silence.
and again. Be really interested in those moments when you notice the mind's been distracted and notice what the attitude is the mind judgmental or controlling and simply notice that and see if you can begin to relate in a more friendly, wise way. Oh yeah, this is how it is sometimes, the mind wanders. This is being known here and now. Take the last couple minutes and we'll do a more open awareness practice now. So feel free if you want to practice with the eyes open, you can do that. Of course, we're not looking at anything in particular, just gazing down toward the ground usually. Soft gaze. And just aware of the totality of seeing and hearing and feeling sensation, maybe to some degree some smells and tastes, and of course the mental activity. Just sensing what it is to have the stability of present moment awareness when there are many different objects being known at different times. But the present moment awareness can also be quite stable, even with this open awareness practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.